Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. They're actually violating the Sabbath, not the disciples, because they are busying themselves, doing what they were pros at, criticizing others, checking others out, finding their faults and flaws and pointing them out. So if anyone was working on the Sabbath, it was the Pharisees. These other guys were just eating on the Sabbath. Now, if the Pharisees had their way, if you were poor or you were traveling, you would fast on the Sabbath. We now move into chapter 6 in the Gospel of Luke. We will be looking at the first 19 verses as we begin a two-part message for Pastor Sam entitled The Twelve Apostles. In our text, we will see Jesus frustrating the religious authorities by eating on the Sabbath and by healing on the Sabbath. He chooses his twelve apostles and he continues to heal. So let's listen in. Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We're looking at the first 19 verses title of our study this morning, The Twelve Apostles. If you've been tracking with us, and many of you, most of you have been, you know that Jesus' ministry began quietly, but it grew quickly. And what happens is, well, there are parallel forces surrounding him. There are those who are opposed to him, and there are those who are absolutely in need of him and know it. So there is great opposition and on the other side, great opportunity. In the midst of that, he gathers his disciples together and he chooses 12 from among the disciples. And then he, well, we read elsewhere, he chose 12 to be with him and that he could send them out to preach, to heal, to cast out demons, to do the ministry we're going to see he's been doing from the beginning of his ministry. Read in verse one, it happened on the second Sabbath after the first, that he went through the grain fields and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answering them said, have you not even read this? What David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread and gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he said to them, the son of man is also Lord of the Sabbath. This is the first of two major conflicts Jesus will deal with from this point all the way to the day of crucifixion. It has to do with their perceptions of his relationship to the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath was a part of God's original law as a part of the Big Ten, but it actually predates that. He tells us that he rested on the seventh day after creating for six. In the wilderness wandering period, he provided manna six days and there was no manna on the seventh. Why? Because he wanted his people to have a day of rest, a day of reflection, a day to fellowship with him and their family. And then it finally is codified in the law as God gives the law to Moses and then through Moses to the people. And he says flat out that he had created the Sabbath for man and he created it that they would rest from their labor. Six days you shall work and the seventh shall be a day of rest. So the problem that they're having with Jesus is they think that he and his disciples are disregarding 
the law of God concerning the Sabbath. We're going to see that nothing could be further from the truth. The other major issue, and it becomes the critical issue, is his personal claims to be one with the Father of the same essence and nature as the Father. The Father and I are one. I do only the things the Father tells me. I do always those things that please the Father. Jesus' claims set him apart because they understood him to mean that he was really God the Son and the Son of God. And of course, that is what he meant. Not everybody gets that today, but they certainly understood it in that day. Well, we have the Sabbath then and we have Jesus' disciples walking through the grain fields. By the way, this was a part of God's provision also in his law for those who were either poor or those who were traveling. He told those who were planting, you know, harvesting fields and such, those who were farming, that they were to leave the outer portions of their fields and that any traveler or any poor person could just go through those. Now, he couldn't bring big baskets and harvest the stuff and take it home and, you know, go into business on it. But you could walk through and if you were hungry, you could pluck a head of grain, you could rub it in your hands. That's what it says they were doing. And then you could just chew on that, um, you know, tasty and, and healthy grain after the chaff had been removed. So what's the problem? Well, they're doing exactly what God had made provision for them to do. They're traveling and they're poor, so they actually have a double right to do what they're doing. The religious leaders are upset, not because they're gleaning but because they're gleaning on the Sabbath. They're upset not because they're breaking God's law, but because they're breaking their laws. And what they basically set out to do was define what God meant by a simple four-letter word. God said, you're not to work on the Sabbath. So they said, well, what exactly constitutes work? They came up with 39 categories of work as it related to the Sabbath. So it, it got so convoluted that the hardest thing you could possibly do on the Sabbath would be rest. And, uh, you know, it's because everything you did was some kind of a sin. You'd be repenting all day long. But the religious leaders, and there's an irony in this, of course, they're actually violating the Sabbath, not the disciples, because they are busying themselves doing what they were pros at, criticizing others, checking others out, finding their faults and flaws and pointing them out. So if anyone was working on the Sabbath, it was the Pharisees. These other guys were just eating on the Sabbath. Now, if the Pharisees had their way, if you were poor or you were traveling, you would fast on the Sabbath. Now, of course, they weren't fasting because they could prepare ahead of time. But they wanted you to fast so that you kept their, well, their rules, their restrictions, their regulations and again, you know, we're all aware that the book of Revelation warns us not to take away or add to it. Do you know that the Old Testament also has such a prohibition? And I think it's for this very reason, that as they added to, then they, they made this thing so complex. Now, basically, we have two illustrations of what was taking place from the get-go here. The first has to do with farming. And hey, this makes sense. If you're a farmer, you shouldn't be planting on the Sabbath. If you're a farmer, you shouldn't be harvesting on the Sabbath. If you're a farmer, you shouldn't be threshing. What's the difference? The harvest is just cutting the grain. The threshing would be separating the wheat from the chaff. That's what, again, they accuse these guys do by rubbing their hands together with a little grain in between. And, and so for a farmer, that 
okay, that's sort of self-evident. They didn't need the religious leaders to tell them what they could or should or shouldn't do on the Sabbath. The second illustration we'll see in a moment has to do with the physician. And they had decided that if you came to a physician on the Sabbath and you were bleeding to death, it was okay for him to stop the bleeding, but that he couldn't treat the wound until the next day. And I'm thinking, I, don't, I doubt that's what God had in mind. We used to sing a song that said, he has shown the old man what is good and what the Lord requires of thee. It shows you how long ago we sang it. We still said thee. But, uh, but to do justly, to walk humbly, to, uh, to do justly, to show mercy, to walk humbly with your God. And, and that's what these guys were failing to do. They were adding to the word. They were making it difficult for people to just walk with the Lord and fellowship and enjoy the Lord. Now, there are a couple of very practical things for us here. The Pharisees get on the disciples of Jesus, but Jesus steps right up and gets in between them. And I love that. You know, sometimes we find ourselves trying to defend Jesus or defend the Bible. It's not actually our responsibility. We are supposed to be able to give a testimony to everyone who asks us a reason for the hope within us. But, but it's not about defending him. He doesn't need us to defend him. He just needs us to proclaim him. And when they're like, well, I don't believe this or how could that be or what about this? Well, if there's a biblical answer, give it. And if not, don't worry about it. Because the real issue is they're wrestling with the conviction of the Holy Spirit as the word of God is being planted in their heart. And he's real good at getting his work done. We actually can get in the way. So again, they are not defending Jesus here. They're not even defending themselves. Jesus defends them. And he steps up and in verse three, he says, haven't you even read this? Now this is gonna get their hackles up. You know, They are gonna immediately be upset because, hey, that's all they do is read and discuss and debate and clarify, at least in their minds, and add to the word of God. And, and so he's like, didn't you ever read this? And what he really means by this question is, have you ever read this and really thought it through? Have you tried to apply it? Because what they were doing is adding to it, not applying it. They were making it harder. Later, he'll say, you bind heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but you're not willing to even carry the, the, the lightest of them. Well, haven't you read this? What David did when he was hungry, he and those with him. By the way, the reference has to do with David who had been anointed king after Saul had been rejected for disobedience. And um, David's in the wilderness because Saul's like not giving it up. He's like, oh, I'm staying here. And he's attacking David and pursuing David. So David's out and, and he's hungry. His guides are with him. And, and it says that he went into the house of God. He took and ate the showbread and gave it to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. Now, this illustration actually is showing us that if, if the law had been violated, David was the one who did it. Because this bread was to be baked, it was to be put there in the tabernacle. One loaf for each of the 12 tribes, so there were 12 loaves. It sat for a week and then they'd bake new bread. They would take the old bread, put the new bread before the Lord and they'd eat the weak old bread. David and his guys show up. He says, hey, we're famished. Give us some bread. And he says, all I have is the showbread for the priest. He's like, hey, give it to us. And he did. Now that bread, by the way, Showbread is what it's called here. It's actually called the bread of the presence in the Old Testament. I love that. The bread of the presence. It symbolized God there in the tabernacle, there in the, the, the temple when it would later be built. And, and so as a picture of God in their midst, Jesus builds on this idea in John's gospel, chapter six. 
where he says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Again and again and again, he says, I'm the living bread. If you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you will live forever. Well, in any case, he gives him an illustration. And what he's trying to do is get him to think that David actually apparently violated the law of God. These disciples are, are, are just, well, they're just violating the law of man. And uh, God didn't have a problem with David eating or feeding his guys in this situation. And, and the principle would be this, that human need surpasses the law. And, and the way Jesus says it elsewhere is that the law was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. It's so important to see. It's not like, okay, I've got a Sabbath. I got to get some people to uh, rest on it. No, it was all about giving the people rest on the Sabbath. So when you're hungry or when you're hurting or when you're in need, well, the Sabbath is a perfectly appropriate time to meet that need. Could you imagine us gathering together and somebody's like, boy, I need prayer. Well, you know, we're kind of prayed up and we just do that six days. We rest on this day. We No, of course, we're going to pray today or we're going to do whatever comes before us. And by the way, side note, but, but a major issue for some, not for me, not for us, that, that uh, some say that at some point, the church changed the Sabbath from the seventh day to the first day of the week. Listen, that never happened and never can happen. Why? The Sabbath is the seventh day. Unless you can make yesterday today and you can't, the Sabbath will always be what God made it to be. Now, men could say they did this or men could accuse others of doing it. But the reality is the Sabbath is the seventh day. It was, is and will always be. And people that are all hung up about that stuff, well, they're kind of doing the same thing these guys were doing. That's why I don't want to spend too much time on that issue. Why are we gathered together on Sunday? Well, we actually did meet last night. By the way, we have a Saturday night service. And uh, in the summer, that actually could work for people that are hung up on the Sabbath, but not in the winter. Why? Because the Sabbath is from sunset Friday night till sunset Saturday night. So in the summer, we're actually keeping the Sabbath. I mean, we're one of the churches that has a Sabbath service, though we don't call it that. But we also have a Friday night get together, don't we? And there are things on Thursday night. This last week, we had a night of worship for the youth and a Wednesday night study and Tuesday Bible studies and Monday. And in fact, what day isn't supposed to be a day set aside for the Lord? This just happens to be the one where more of us can gather because most of us will be going to work tomorrow. So ever since the resurrection, God's church, Jesus church has been meeting on Sunday to celebrate the resurrection. My take on all this is really Paul's. And that is to some one day is esteemed higher than another. To others, they esteem every day the same. He says, be fully convinced in your own mind. Why? Whatever is in a faith is sin. And, and I believe that we should be honoring the Lord, resting in the Lord, serving our Lord every single day of the week. We don't set aside a day or two for him. We set aside our lives for him as they did. We deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. Well, in any case, we go from the first situation, which had to do with farming to the second, which has to do with healing. And again, the idea that a physician shouldn't practice on the Sabbath when a physician's whole ministry is to make people who are in danger 
whole and, and healthy. And well, it happened on another Sabbath, verse six. He entered the synagogue and taught. A man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. And Jesus said to them, I will ask one thing of you. Now, the man's before him, but now he's addressing, again, the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders. He says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? Now, the answer isn't here because they didn't respond. One of the other gospel writers even makes an issue of that. I mean, he points out that they remain silent and Jesus looked at them and was grieved because of their hardness of heart. At one point, he just says, look, if you have an, an ox and it falls into a pit, you leave it there on the Sabbath. No, you pull it out. How much more value then does this man have than, than an ox? We're living in odd times. I realize that today some people are trying to say, oh, it's all the same. You know, the, the frog, the man. No, man was created in God's image and is of great value, the greatest value to God. But, but in any case, in, in our situation here, here's the great physician and they want to see, will he practice on the Sabbath. And, and for them, in their minds, there was no difference between a physician healing and a, a farmer harvesting if it was taking place on the Sabbath. It was all a violation of their little rules and regulations and restrictions regarding um, what could or should be done on the Sabbath. Now, there is an irony here. These guys couldn't have healed him if they wanted to, and they wouldn't have healed him if they could have, because, hey, it's the day where we don't do good works like that for hurting needy people. But, but notice how Jesus actually deals with this, and, and it, it is sort of amazing. He confronts them. He exposes their heart. In other words, he was there to do good, to save life. They were certainly about evil and destruction. They were listening to the enemy and representing the enemy of our souls. But his method here, both effective and wise, he doesn't actually violate even their law. Why? He never touches the guy. He doesn't do anything physical. He just says, hey, you do the impossible. Stretch out your hand. And just as we've seen in prior and we'll see in future illustrations of his life transforming word and power, he just says, stretch out your hand. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. He stretches out his hand and it was restored as whole as the other. So did he work? Well, not really. He just said, stretch out your hand. He's, that's sort of conversational, you know, it's a command, but no physical work took place. And so here's the deal. They were frustrated and filled with rage. They begin to plot against them. Now, it doesn't say they were frustrated, just filled with rage, but you got to know this frustrated them because they can't even say, well, what did he exactly do that we're against? I mean, if there were any reasonable people among them, the discussion would go like that. Well, why are you so upset? Well, did you see what he did? Not actually. He just, I heard him say, stretch out your hand and the guy did it. I mean, who worked? Who sinned? 
Nobody did except them. They sinned because, again, they're criticizing the Lord for doing the very thing he came to do. We are told, by the way, at this point, not only were they plotting against him, but they went and plotted with the Herodians. These were the political leaders of the day. And uh, so they're already trying to put into place that the plan to take Jesus' life eventually. And, and again, they're going to come back to this issue, the Sabbath, and then that issue, the, the claiming to be the Son of and one with the Father. Well, it came to pass, verse 12, that in those days he went out to the mountain to pray, continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. From them, he chose 12, whom he also named apostles. An entire night in prayer. We'll have some point where we'll just spend a day together and, you know, our study looking at Jesus' prayer life throughout the Gospel of Luke. But, but for now, let's just acknowledge that this is one of the bigger decisions he's going to be making. He spends an entire night of prayer. Father, who have you chosen? What do you want me to do? I do always those things that please the Father. He says, I only say those things the Father tells me. So he calls his disciples. How many disciples did Jesus have at this point? Well, we don't know for sure, but not long after this, he'll send out 70 disciples at once. We're not sure how many we're following, but we know the difference between a disciple and, well, he calls these 12 now apostles. A disciple is a follower, an imitator, one who wants to be like the one he is a disciple of. An apostle is an ambassador for that person. It's a formal position. Someone goes forth with the full authority in word and in deed, of the one that sent them. That's what these guys are now becoming for Jesus. Ambassadors, no longer just followers, but now representatives. Well, we don't know how many were following, but we do know that not all of them would continue to follow. John 6.6.6, how easy is that to remember? You don't even have to jot it down. It says that after Jesus began to proclaim that he was the bread of life and that you had to eat his body and drink his blood, many of those who were with him walked away from him and followed him no more. It says specifically many of his disciples walked away and followed him no more. And he actually asked Peter and the fellows, he says, are you guys leaving too? And they're like, where would we go? To whom could we go? You have the words of everlasting life. You have the words of eternal life. So, so the idea is there's this huge group of disciples. He chooses from among those who had chosen to follow him, those that he was going to train further and more closely. Now the others are still around and others are going to be used as well, but this will be his inner circle. And among that group, there would be an even tighter inner circle of three men. He chooses 12 disciples and, and, um, it is interesting to me. There's not a Pharisee among them. There's not a scribe among them. There's not a Sadducee among them. There is not one religiously trained person among the 12 disciples. Well, what does that mean? They were just ordinary people like us, laymen like us. You notice I didn't say normal people like us because whenever I use that word, I think, what is normal? And just looking out, I think, well, are we really it? I mean, it's like how different we are from one another. But we are ordinary people. And, and just like them, chosen to do extraordinary things. Not because of the great talent we possess, because all our talents are natural talents, our supernatural talents, they're all gifts from God. 
Do you know the only difference in a Christian who's a musician or an artist or, or a, you know, a, a worker at, at whatever job it is and, and the person who isn't a Christian is the Christian gives God the glory for the things that they can do. We thank God that we can get up and work. We thank that God that He's given us the ability to provide for our families or He's given us talents to do things we couldn't do otherwise. So these guys, they're, they're just regular fellows. We don't know everything about all of them. We don't even know anything about some of them, just their name and the basic mission that He called them to and empowered them for. Pastor Sam made an interesting observation when he pointed out that none of Jesus' original 12 disciples had any religious training whatsoever. Now, I would imagine that had any of the scribes or Pharisees actually recognized Jesus as the Messiah, they probably would have considered themselves wonderful candidates for the job. However, we are told in 1 Corinthians 1.27 the following, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Those who consider themselves wise and those who consider themselves mighty actually get in their own way when it comes to serving God. Truly, we must empty ourselves of those attributes and allow God to fill us back up again with His Spirit in order to be of use to Him. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.